1: Hello and welcome to A Terrier. That's how the podcast would have sounded if we'd done an episode last week because David Hartrick lost his voice. How are you doing, Doctor No? i'm all right
0: i'm all right Uh, uh apologies we didn't get one out but steve got covid and then i got covid and unfortunately i got very bad throat and lost my voice i had to turn down two final whistles for the club as well which were both after wins which would have been nice to do but uh forgive me if my voice goes for a wobble at some point during this
1: well, not to worry. I mean, you'll get you'll get to have your say on those wins now because we've got three games to talk about uh and we'll we'll not dwell on the the first one too long, but I think the most recent two are kind of quite related in the nature of the performance and the the sort of the size of the results, but we'll touch quickly on Huddersfield Town 3 Blackpool Second 3-2 in a row that game, Dave, on Boxing Day. It feels a very long time ago now. Uh, Blackpool went 1-0 up inside the first minute, which wasn't great. Danny Wood (laughs) struck back with a brilliant header in, in the third minute to uh to to equalize it gary Medine put Blackpool ahead and then sort thomas late on of course got a double second three two in a row as i say and we would sat here moaning about town's sort of struggles in attack and how they don't score enough goals and then they have two games in a row where they where they score three i think uh it was a, an entertaining game but the red card really changed it didn't it yeah they rammed our words right down our necks steve right down <laughs> our necks um
0: i think I think that game, yeah, it did, the the red card did change it, but I think also Sauber Thomas was was mm-hmm. that was his best game in months, mm-hmm. and it had been coming because we'd we'd said there were signs in the previous two that he was just starting to. To look like Sorba Thomas again, Um, and in that game he really was, I I thought he was the best player on the pitch by a mile if I'm honest, and that was before he'd he'd scored the first or second goal, Um, and it was, I think psychologically it was quite a big win for town, because not only did they turn round a deficit, you know overcoming it and, and getting away with three points as well was, was huge I think it was a huge mental lift
1: Yeah I thought Sorber really grew into the game I think he got better and better as it went on and you could see that he was taking more and more confidence out of the game particularly after Blackpool went down to ten men I think Town had already started to turn the corner when you look at the stats it, it was it was pretty one way um other than the, the Danny Ward goal before then Um before the Tom Lees injury in fact it was that, that sort of that sort of changed it and then uh Carlos Gorbrand took the opportunity when he took Lee's off. He he moved to a four four two and that sort of helped Towns sort of start to get to grips on the game better, particularly defensively. And then after the red card, Town just sort of he'd already put Jordan Rhodes on and Town just threw on basically every attacking substitute they possibly could to to try and affect that game. I thought Neil Critchley's subs were a bit strange a bit negative i know he was down to 10 men but for me he took off his two most dangerous attacking players to put on a couple of defenders um he 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 took off his outlets yeah he took off his
0: outlets which was interesting because it it was it was almost like he was accepting we're not going to get out here so we may as well just try and put bodies in the middle which i thought was i mean i i think blackpool have done a really good job and i think chris is actually quite a good manager on the quiet but it was a very league one thing to do that very league one thing to do and you you sort of that's where you realize okay yeah a little a little bit more experience and i think you'd do that differently but full credit to town for Capitalising on that though,
1: and some beautiful goals in that game as well. Mm. The Danny Ward header, I thought the cross and the header both. Uh, I watched that a million times. Uh, I watched <laughs> it so often uh, on Twitter watching the replay that I even sort of overlooked what a brilliant, brilliant goal that second goal was. I think an even better goal, in fact. That that um, as the one two one two, the one two one two. That's the one uh, a roadie special from Sorber Thomas played uh, the, the first pass over to Sonani, and then Sonani's decision to sort of. Turn his body through it, turn his chest through it, and put it back into Thomas's path. And then he plays another one off off Jordan Rhodes as well. I thought that was a, a sensational team goal. And um, how many times have we said, Dave, the kind of goal that that Huddersfield Town don't score.
0: Yeah, um, and it was it was interesting to see where Sorba came from to do that because that's the thing that I think we've been wanting Josh Karoma to do which is, is get back into that, that um, zone where he's pulling wide and coming inside picking his, his moments and getting into the space in the middle of the box and he's just really struggled to do that this season if Sorba can do that more because I don't think he does that enough if I'm honest um, and I think it's one of the reasons that when he's played in a front three me and you have thought mm, not, his best, not the best way to play him here. I think if he can add that to his game then he can start giving town that option to play with the 4-3-3 an awful lot more really Um, but yeah it was it was a great goal it was a great goal he was helped by a slightly scuffed finish I think because if it if if it hit it true I think it would have been lower and I think the keeper might have had a chance of getting something on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, lovely goal though. And it's interesting you mentioned the, the formational thing there because when we go into Nottingham Forest, as I say, they'd changed to the four four two 4 during that Blackpool game and then it sort of became sort of a zero zero ten, 0 by the end of the game. But... Um, town have played a number of different formations this season and i don't think either of us would have expected this at the start of the campaign but they've played uh i think it's six different formations now uh after the the blackburn game but but up to forest it was five and 4-3-3 hasn't been one of them they've not played 4-3-3 once um although you could make an argument i suppose that they've done it where they've started in a 3-4-3 that has then become a 4-3-3 uh as they did against luton for instance but uh, it was four four two against Forest. I think Carlos Corbran looks like he wants to have a, a little look at some formations that played two up top. Because finished the Blackpool game with two up top. Finished the Forest game. And started, I should say. Played the whole Forest game with two up top. And played the whole Blackburn game with two centre forwards as well. Um, with Jordan Rhodes back, I do wonder to what degree he might be sort of anticipating that Jordan Rhodes can play that role and can play alongside Danny Ward, perhaps. He's not had a chance to do that because Rhodes hasn't quite been fit enough to start games. I don't get the impression and Danny Ward has been away. But it's an interesting possibility, isn't it? Which I think would be a good thing.
0: Um, I think Ward's in in his best form since coming back to the club and I think that he always looks better with someone closer to him I think Jordan Rhodes is not a striker who can do what what Ward does anymore um, for various reasons so I think playing the two together could could very well be a, a decent weapon going forward particularly in the last half an hour of games where things can get A little bit you know the game situation moves and I think it's worth I think it's worth trying I mean how many times have we sort of lamented on this podcast the distance between Danny Ward and any everybody else so yeah getting somebody up there with him I think is a very viable option really and I think that we, like we're recording this on the day Mipo Debecco has gone back to West Ham you do think that's probably a marker of what Carlos Corbran has seen in Jordan Rhodes in training and thinks yeah he can contribute quite a lot to the you know between now and the end of the season we know what Fraser Campbell can do and we know Danny Ward is number one pick so they do have options there and plenty of them
1: yeah and and Karoma can obviously play there as well i don't think it's his best position nor does Carlos Corbran but he can play there and i think Rhodes has come on and done well recently. You know, mm. he, he made an impact against Blackpool. I think that's maybe the best performance we've seen from a town sub this season. Um, you know, he, he got an assist, which is, I think he's only the second player to get a goal or an assist off the bench this season. Uh, he came on against Forrest and should have had an assist uh, yeah. for for yeah, Danelsinani, which he absolutely wasted uh, after winning the the ball high up Rhodes. And not, not much to write about, you know, with his performance against Blackburn. But uh, I think that was more of a defensive performance as was the forest game it was two uh, good defensive efforts i think very much a good last ditch defensive effort against forest and a really good organized display sort of from from all all 11 players against uh against blackburn where you know it's the team that are now second in the table and town have only had four games this season where they've had a lower xg against them yeah
0: and that that's impressive steve you know there's 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 no denying that they've, like Christmas. I've I've spoke about it before. Christmas I think makes or breaks your season this spell, and it's not just about the fact the games come thick and fast or anything like that. Because we know they've had a much easier schedule this time round. It it's more about the fact it's quite a difficult time, and you you know mm-hmm. players spending time away from their family, and it it really is where y- if you're serious. You know, if you're a serious side mounting a serious challenge, this is really where you start to to come into your own at both ends of the pitch, and it feels like Town are doing that. And yeah, who knows where that could carry them at this point?
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll start with the the Forest game. Really, it was <laughs> it was a uh, live on TV. A lot of people will have watched that game, I'm sure, and town got the goal through through Dwayne Holmes after half an hour and then after that it was just it was all forest wasn't it I don't think uh apart from the one that Sonani uh, blazed over the bar which not for the first time this season we've said before you, you'd back Sinani to score from 25 yards more than you would from from 10 yards I think that's yeah. uh there's several sort of rushes of blood to the head he's had from from those very presentable positions this season which is a shame but um you know that they they got an awful lot of luck from the point of view that Forest were Forrest finishing was abysmal on the day they really should have found at least an equalizer <laughs> but but there was also to be fair an awful lot of digging in and resilience and character shown by the Huddersfield town players. It felt like um, more of a performance for the fans than it was for for us as um, journalists or analysts or whatever you want to call us.
0: Well, I, you say that but I think that some of it was a little bit by design because I do think town, I, I do think their away strategy is to, to, to get a goal and try and sit on it. That does seem to be, they they rarely sort of score once away from home and then really set out to, to drive home an advantage. They often sit back and it's a dangerous thing to do. I don't know if it's by design or if it's, it's just it's by not, default. It's not,
1: no. Carlos has said several times he wants them to go and get the second goal and Mm. kill it off he he was he was not super enthusiastic about the forest performance he felt that on the ball they were they were quite lacking but obviously he could you know they've won the game so there was only sort of so far he could go in his criticism
0: but uh, the thing I did want to talk about is I thought that was a great goal I thought that uh, Holmes's first touch there I think is absolutely superb I saw a couple of people saying oh it's quite a heavy first touch that's why he had to stretch for it it's to me that was the only touch he could take there because any softer and he, he's cut his un, he's, he's cut his angle down there for the finish, and any harder and it's gone, I thought it was it was perfect, and that was the way to finish it, which is on the stretch low and into that near post, I thought it was a, a really, really good goal, really good finish, and a sort of a
1: very clever piece of thinking from Holmes for me. And we should mention as well the assist on that, which is Harry Toffolo, four in a row at that point, uh, obviously he didn't get one against Blackburn, so the streak is over, um, very much like, like watching WrestleMania, 30 unfortunately watching that Blackburn game in that respect but just a reference for you there Dave. Um I have no idea what you're on about. <laughs> I'm assuming
0: it's some, it's ultimate Keith's win streak is
1: over or something. Basically <laughs> basically but no I mean I mean you and I had criticised Harry Toffolo and his crossing in particular uh, you know his his contribution to goals maybe wasn't what it should be and this was only a few weeks ago we were saying oh he's not quite the same Harry Toffolo that he was last year but we We've talked about that cross for the ward goal against Blackpool. we talked about, you know, we're talking about another assist here to make it four in a row and, I think sort of he's he's alluded to himself he's had to sort of adapt his game and Carlos corbrand talked about this as well I really enjoyed talking to the pair of them about this last week actually at the, the press conferences where you know they were both saying that that maybe Toffler's taken a bit of time to adapt to being a wing back um that Carlos was saying he he, like, he he plays best when he's got sort of that give and go and and he can sort of pass and move and he's got someone to bounce off which he doesn't have as much when he's a wing back which is something we've talked about you know he doesn't have O'Brien there all the time like he did previously, um, and, you know, he's he's sort of more on his own. And Harry Toffler himself talked about how he wanted to have an extra, you know, an extra trick in his bag of tricks rather than just get, looking to get to the byline all the time. He knew he had to work on his, his crossing from deep and make sure that he can provide problems to defences from if he can't get to the byline and and again we saw that against Blackpool he was able to hit that that cross from sort of 30 yards out and it's uh it's been a really positive run for Harry Tuffler.
0: it has I th- I think that we were when you say we were criticizing him we were both very keen to point out that we were only judging him by the high standards he set yeah himself. we were saying
1: it, he'd gone from a seven out of ten every game to a six out of ten every game which yeah. is you know
0: so it, we were never we were never worried we were never thinking oh no harry toffolo's gone so it's just he's got back to he's got back to the levels and i i think it's something we mentioned steve we both said that playing win back is very very different from playing full back it mm. there is a period of adjustment there so that doesn't doesn't surprise me in the slightest to be perfectly honest with you and i think that um yeah he he's just he's just such a key part of like everything town do to, you know back foot front foot and even in midfield he's just such a massive player for them and town are a team that are they have a couple of bellwethers really you know if if Toffalo's playing well if Hogg's playing well if thomas is playing well if o'brien's playing well then i town think will be
1: fine <laughs> do you know what i actually just i would think not o'brien i think o'brien is the one who can play well even when the team is playing badly to be honest but mm. i agree on the other the other three you mentioned there uh particularly sort of silver sort of thomas and yeah i mean the, the the forest game was was an interesting one to watch as i say it was you know, they went for it at the back. There was sort of Carla says he would have done it even if Saar had been available. Um, because Tom Lees was obviously out, Naby Saar was out with a back injury, um, and he it was it was Colwill and, and Pearson were sort of the, the two centre backs and both of them had good games but but Colwill in particular, he got Sky's man of the match, he got my man of the match, he got my mum's man of the match and that's the most important one. <laughs> um it I mean it was and, and Blackburn as well, if we can put the two games in together, I thought two excellent um, defensive performances and two great performances. And I think the most encouraging thing is it's it's a good defensive performance with a back four and a good defensive performance with a back three.
0: Yeah, it, it's options, isn't it? We We... <sighs> before this run we did a podcast where we had to sort of hammer them was it after the borough game mm. uh, I can't remember yeah. which one it was and, but we
1: and Coventry as well to a lesser extent
0: yeah yeah and the, the the entire thrust of our argument was that town had become incredibly predictable very easy to set up against and we're just constantly asking the same questions hoping they get a different answer I think what you've seen over the last couple of weeks is a willingness to to, to change and adapt and to yeah. Yeah. tried they've they've changed a lot more in game there's been a mm-hmm. lot more subtle you know it they may line up the same but 20 minutes in it could be very very different and there's been a lot more sort of changing just subtleties in the sort of angles and the way you know length of pass and various other things and it it's made a huge difference because it, as I said it's just stopped them being so easy to set up against because it, it, you can plan for one thing they're quite happy doing something else and defensively being able to switch between a 3 and a, a 4 comfortably like that is is pretty big all in because obviously that allows you to change the shape of your attacker as well because it allows you to physically get another man into the attack if you want. It's it's a big thing. Um and of course we should talk about, you know, Pippa coming back as well. Mm-hmm. That is is only going to increase those options.
1: Yeah, as we mentioned earlier, you know, the the starting to sort of look at a front two more often, which is not really we've not really seen this season other than a couple of games against Preston and, and Sheffield United. Town hadn't really started with a front two and then they've they've done it they've played sort of their last sort of two and a half games play in a front two and I think it's a similar kind of thing with the back four I think it's sort of in the same way that I think it's almost Carlos laying the groundwork for when Rhodes is able to start games with with Danny Ward or Fraser Campbell I think the the move into a four and saying that he would have done it even if Saar had been available is I wonder how much that is laying the groundwork for the fact that he's got Pippa back now and Aaron Rowe as well because you know, Turton I think has I think he's growing into the season. I think he it's fair to say he struggled a bit at the start of the season, but he's he's come off the bench a few times recently and, and started against Forest and done absolutely fine. Not perfect, but you know, he's this is a player who's never played championship football before and you can see I think he's starting to get to grips with it a lot better. He was as much a part of that defensive effort against Forest as anyone else. And um I think there's there's again there's genuine options there you know they've played not to sort of make this tactics podcast or formation podcast but they're attacking formation they've played five different shapes over the last six games which as you say just makes them a, a lot less predictable but I think crucially and I made this point in the conclusions after the forest game I think Gorbrand has has made the right decisions in each game you know we we've had those two three twos where they were a bit more attacking but maybe left a bit a bit to be desired defensively but they were against sides where that was a more viable strategy and then against Forest and Blackburn you see them do the opposite they were sort of much more focused on keeping things tight and seeing if they could nick a goal which they managed to do against Forest, not against Blackburn but I think four points in those two games given the form those sides were in and where they were in the table I mean Black Blackburn a second now. Forest were, uh, I think, had lost sort of... two of their previous however many it was 17 something like that they'd only lost twice since they'd played town previously anyway and back in September they had been the best team in the division since they came to the John Smith Stadium so to get four points from those two games and to have 10 from the last four games is is an incredible return and you know we're always sort of (laughs) quite quick to to criticize Carlos Corbin if we think he deserves it and I think we try and be as quick to offer praise when he deserves it as well and I think you have to say he's you know he's even with a few absences like Tom Lee's and Danny Ward and Nabi Sarr that they've had to cope with, he's got his selections pretty much bang on over the past few games, and his strategy is pretty much bang on over the past few games, and that has that has been a big factor behind those results. Hmm. Do you do you think? Because <laughs> I this is something I was thinking about.
0: Do you think sometimes a, a forced change is actually quite a good thing for Carlos Corbran because sometimes I think he gets on the evidence we've seen over the last season and a half is that sometimes he gets quite ingrained in his thinking, in how yeah. he how he wants things to be. So sometimes I think having his hand forced into changing it up a bit, he he's very he wants to deal in certainties, doesn't he? We've talked about it like with their chance creation. He wants to create a certain type of chance, not just loads of chances. And I do wonder if it's It it sort of lends itself to that thing of he has to see something with his own eyes. He can't, you know, he doesn't like things that work in theory. He has to see it with his own eyes. So sometimes having his hand forced into changing something so he can see it work or not work, I think is sometimes quite a good thing for Corbran. And he... You know, he's a manager who we know is on a learning curve himself, but who has showed a lot of evidence that he is learning as well. You know, there's still there's still facets that me and you think could be done better. But at the same time, you know, this is a world away from where town were last season, even when times were good. You know, I, I said to you repeatedly off air, you know, I, when times were good at the start of the season, it felt like it was built on the sand to me and the, the mm. crash was always coming. Whereas this season, it doesn't feel like that. They feel like a side who are going to have a spell like they did, you know, where they only won the West Brom game in those sort of five or six, again, before the season's out. But they're also going to have another spell like this where they go and get, I don't know, they go and get 10 or 11 points out of 15 available. This is what they are right now. Certainly, they're going to be home and hosed relegation-wise. I think by—I mean, I think it's going to be a really, really low total this time. So I would almost argue that they're there already, if I'm brutally honest with you. But you know, I—I I genuinely think probably two more wins, and they're going—you know—they're absolutely safe. Which all we asked for, Steve, was come March they weren't looking over your shoulder and we weren't having to do podcasts where we were talking about other teams.
1: Yeah, and if anything, we might have to do podcasts where we're talking about other teams in, in terms of a, a, a promotion race, to be honest. Because like I think... Um, Monday was the first time I've actually looked at a championship you know the results when Town haven't been playing Um, when Stoke lost to Preston I thought oh that's a good result for Town and I think that's the first time this season that I've sort of allowed myself to look at the other sort of promotion contenders and god go on I hope you lose kind of thing Um, it's starting to feel a bit more real now and you know they've pivoted as you say that bad run they had one win in seven we were very critical of that They've, they've since taken sort of you know, 10 points from four games since then and pivoted that into what looks like, um, it actually looks like that there wasn't a blip at all when you sort of look at it on the face of things and you look at the, um, when you just look at the results alone because it's it was two defeats in a row um, after the West Brom and then sort of, then you're onto your six game unbeaten streak as, as it is now and suddenly that, that four game winless run suddenly looks like the start of, a, uh, of, of, a, of a, an unbeaten run. It's is funny how perspectives change I think there's weirdly I can't remember if I put this in the conclusions or if I cut it but I think weirdly the fact that they've got good results against Forest and, and Blackburn and we'll, we'll talk about Blackburn the Blackburn game I suppose in, in a bit more detail in a moment but weirdly having got those good results against two good teams based on sort of defensive efforts I feel like I don't know very much more about how much town of turned a corner because I think you and I would yeah, have said for all for all we've you know we've said all season that defensively they're good and they need to do more on the ball and I think the Bristol City and Blackpool game suggests that they do have something more to give on the ball but then it's like well were they were they so sort of sparing in the number of chances they made against Forest and Blackburn because it was Forest and Blackburn and they're good teams and they're playing away from home and particularly when they were defending the lead against Forest you know that the the adventure wasn't particularly there or is it that the problem hasn't been solved and I think we almost need to we said we've said this a lot but We'd love to see a few sort of routine 2 nils out of town over the next next mm. few games. Um, obviously, it's the FA Cup at the weekend and Swansea after that, which is uh, potentially a tough game. But there's also some winnable games coming up when you think about I know it's away from home, but they're going to uh, to Reading and Stoke on in a great run of form at the moment. They've got some games coming up where if they do get those routine wins... Um, you'd feel a lot better about their chances.
0: Yeah, uh, the mantra for me hasn't changed from when times were good earlier in the season, which is like, you know, allow yourself to dream a little, but don't start expecting anything because the minute you start expecting anything, that's when disappointment creeps in. And it's important to remember that, we keep saying it, but 14th place this season would be an improvement. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's that's the thing. So uh, I think it's easy to get caught up but you've also got to remember the amount of teams that have got games in hand around town, yeah. and I know everybody's got to play the same amount of games, and they're going to be played in a compressed schedule, etc. But there's an awful lot of football to be played in and around that that section, that sort of I don't know what fourth, to, well fourth to almost like sort of eighteenth place. There's a there's a hell of a lot of football, and there's going to be a lot of movement, I think, before the season's end. But it's just good that Town are in there. <laughs> You know they are in there. They're competitive. This isn't happening by accident. You know I've said it before on here. You can't. You can't be in this position halfway through a season by accident, really. And yeah, you know, long long may it continue because it's far more fun for fans to watch. It's far more fun for us to talk about. It's far more fun for us to write about. And I I just. I, I do, my, my reservation is a little bit like yours in that we know they are good defensively and we know that is the thing that is always going to really have propelled them into mid-table. That was the thing that was always going to mm. keep them safe this year after conceding 71 last year and 70 the, the year before. That alone would, would go a long way second half of the season has all got to be about the other end of the pitch hasn't it if if they are a serious team on a serious drive hoping to do a serious thing it, it's all about what happens at the other end isn't it
1: it is yeah yeah i mean as long as they're able to sort of maintain that that defensive form because i think for me it seems a little bit like they are they they're turning the dial one way or the other from one game to the next at the moment, and you know they got the three goals against Bristol City and Blackpool, but they also conceded two goals games, and they got the clean mm. sheets against Forest and Blackburn, but they only scored one goal in those two games, and you know again that's not a major criticism because away from home against those opponents, those are that's a, an excellent pair of results, um, but. It, yeah, it just, it, I would like to see them just be, I know Carlos wants them to be competitive in every game. And I think they're at a point where, you know, how. how what games have they not been competitive in this season? It's been Middlesbrough, Bournemouth. Yeah fulham and then that's about it every other game they've they've at least held their own yeah weirdly they've had a couple of
0: wins as well that you would argue they've not really been very competitive in because the west brom and and uh forest Forest games were you know they they got the goal and then they had to dig in so but there's championship season is 46 games long and you've you've got to win some games by being on top you've got to win some games by just pinching them (laughs) I think (laughs) what you could get and I think that the part of the problem is that town last season and the season before they had to earn every last point they got they had Mm. to claw and scrape and fight and scrap to get every point whereas this season because they've got a much better squad and much better options and they're much more willing to change things yeah they they can pick points up that they don't you know inadverted commas earn or or deserve just by virtue of they're just better at their jobs they're better at the day job
1: and i think i, th- I would think i would argue as well that even in those games they were competitive in that they were able to dig in and, and see out those results you know i think that that's part of it isn't it and i think that's why you set the bar at competitive rather than we want to dominate every game or you know mm. I, I think it's i think it's quite a carefully selected goal from Corbrand there to say we want to be competitive every game and not we want to have you know been the better side in every game or we want to have dominated every game and i you know i think that they're they're, they're getting there you know that or they are there they're, they're pretty much there there's there's only sort of three of the 26 games where i would say i don't think they've been competitive and that's complete contrast to last year you know the number of sort of hammerings they got last season and you think in norwich when you think of Bournemouth Blackburn uh, Blackburn well I was going to f- lead up to Blackburn You know, but there was Cardiff as well um, Wickham where they were 2-0 up and lost 3-2 Preston away yeah there are a lot of them whereas but then and I think Blackburn for me was arguably the worst I know you think it's Preston but, f- but for me it was Blackburn and for them to go to Blackburn this season and this is a resurgent Blackburn who were doing really really well Ewood Park was absolutely bouncing I can tell you every time Blackburn went forward the 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 crowd there thought that they were going to score. It was it was that kind of atmosphere, and um, they're obviously having a magnificent season. There was, but I think. For me, whereas against Forest, they had a lot of luck. I think against Blackburn, they really limited them to, to not very many big chances. Um, they had a couple of penalty shouts that I've not seen replays, but from from seeing them in the ground, I didn't think either of them was a penalty. Uh, the, the, the O'Brien had ball and, uh, and they felt that it was sort of a double um, challenge where Lee's was on Brereton Diaz, I think that was just outside the box, and then uh, he sort of evaded the Lees challenge, I think you maybe could have given a free kick for that, but then as he's sort of trying to find his foot in after jumping over that tackle, Matty Pearson comes over with a shoulder barge and knocks him over and wins the ball, and they're saying penalty, not a penalty for me, not for that challenge, but uh, I think where Blackburn did have a point is Dwayne Holmes should have been sent off for that challenge, (laughs) I know he gets a bit of a shove Danny Schofield just sort of defending him saying he does get a bit of a shove before he... um, uh, makes that tackle uh, which is true but I think he's already sort of thrown himself into it I think yeah. he was very lucky not to get a red card for that it was sort of high off the ground scissor motion yeah, yeah. I mean he was he was uh, he was
0: knee height. that's yeah. the thing it was it was pretty grim really it was it uh, like I'm glad he didn't get sent off because Holmes is quite a streaky player and at the moment he's on a good streak and you sort of you'd worry a couple of games out you know might might just disrupt his rhythm again really so I, i'm sort of pleased from that point of view but it was categorically a red card yeah. <laughs> it was it was yeah. one of the reddest cards i've seen if yeah. i'm honest but you know if they got away with it fine and the the penalty one i think the penalty one i know what you're saying about it not being a penalty but it's it, it's a classic case that for me of, I'm sitting here going, yeah, I don't particularly think it was a penalty either, but also fully equipped with the knowledge that if it was the other way round, we'd all be screaming that it was a penalty yeah, for town. So yeah. it's, it's it was it was close, I would say. Yeah. It was close. I think and it I should think, have
1: been a free kick. I, think, that, I yeah. think I would have given a foul against Lees. I don't think Pearson's was a foul.
0: No, I... I don't think Pearson's was, but I think that's it. I think it would at least be a free kick, and you would be screaming for it at the other end. So, but I, I the the Blackburn the Blackburn performance I thought was good from the point of view of that there was a lot of control in that performance. Mm-hmm. They they never. Like Ewood Park, I've done a lot of games at Ewood Park and I actually, I, I like doing games over there. I like doing games at Ewood Park and Preston. I like the Black Pudding Triangle. Um, and it's a
1: shame Berry's gone really, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, oh, they, they, they're the in golf, I guess.
0: Yeah, they are. They're in Golker's league, aren't they? Golker going well. They're third at the moment. Um, But yeah, it's quite an intimidating place. They got absolutely railroaded there last season. And, you know, that Blackburn game last year was, it was a bit embarrassing at times, if we're brutally honest with you. Because it was, I mean, what was it, 5-2 in the end? Yeah and nobody could actually have argued if it had been 8-2 or 9-2 yeah, no. you know it was it was, it was was poor so to go there this season and exert that measure of control over the game I thought was was pretty key and again a bit like coming back on the, and winning that game 3-2 like these are mental boosts these are, they're removing mental barriers and proving to players that they can do certain things they can overcome certain obstacles and it's, it, this little run has been a you know it could well be a season defining one Steve that's that's the thing could well be a season defining one and they'll definitely mix things up for the Burnley game at the weekend and give a few players a break but it's the sort of run that the next game they'll be absolutely desperate to get on the pitch absolutely Mm. desperate to, to go for it again and that's what you want.
1: Yeah, and tickets are fiver for everyone as well. That'll be the, the yeah. home game against Swansea. We've just, uh, just been announced just before we come on air that, yeah, if you want to come to that game, it's uh, a fiver a ticket. So um, that's the one to go to um, yeah. if, you, if you're looking for a town fix. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a positive run. Things are suddenly looking a bit rosier. I think we've sort of, we've discussed this and I've put it in the conclusions as well that it feels like I think people are doing what you're saying. I think they're saying, you know, the, dreaming but not expecting but it does feel a little bit to me and i I don't know where i've got this from maybe it's just the people i speak to or, or from what i've seen online or whatever but it does feel a little bit to me like a few fans are sort of secretly starting to believe a little bit but are keeping that to themselves at the moment because they don't want to end up looking looking daft. Yeah,
0: but that's that's again, you, you've just you've just got to be careful not to fall into expectation because the problem is this season, like we, it, it's boring to say it, Steve, and we're boring ourselves. But you've got to remember where the barriers are set for improvement, and mm. the 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 barrier is not sixth place. <laughs> the the barrier is is January like fifteenth yeah. would yeah. be a, a much improved season from where they've been the last couple. So, so but it's it's just more fun this way, isn't it? It's just more fun. And that's what it should feel like that is what is going to bring people back to the John Smith Stadium who you know in in that bad run there are a couple of games where the attendances were not great Steve we remarked about it mm-hmm. on here
1: after Coventry yeah
0: you win a few games you make it fun you look like scoring up top and lo and behold you know it's it's a much better atmosphere and and a much much sort of thicker crowd really because it was pretty thin for the Coventry game wasn't it we were we were looking round and yeah it was a bit it was a little a bit disappointing. So, yeah, hopefully, sort of fiver a time and good times are good times are here again. It'd be nice to see that stadium full for the Swansea game.
1: Could you reckon the club will send our cheque uh, straight away or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're um,
0: on commission by the way we get 50p out of every <laughs> ticket sold so if you could go that would be lovely no no
1: and and also while we're at it by the way the the women are playing in the fa cup uh, at the end of the month against everton at the john smiths as well and they're looking to break yes. their attendance record so get down to that as well and i'm, um, I'm
0: doing that game i'm quite looking forward to it because i've because of work and working a lot of sunday's Covering a certain someone mentioning no name, Stephen Chicken, lazy. Uh, I haven't had a chance to do any of of the women's teams games, so I'm actually I'm doing
1: that game for so I'm actually really looking forward to it. There we go. So yeah, I mean it's it's back to the men though. It's it, I mean it's all it's all feeling it's starting to feel a lot more positive at the moment, as you say. The, the getting players back, likes of Rhodes, Pippa, Rowe, have all come back over the past few weeks. I think Sarr and Ward and Hog. Uh, are not far off I, I don't know what the sort of what they're looking at at the weekend in terms of a, a lineup, but as you say, I'd be surprised if they didn't change things up a bit. Um, but I think hopefully for the next league game, those players should be back. And they're looking at maybe having an injury list of just just Vallejo and Aaron's, which you know is sort of pertinent to the January transfer window, which has just opened because obviously everyone wants to know what they're going to be doing this month. And the sort of the, the briefing is that that probably not a huge amount as it stands. I mean, obviously things can change we we know from last year how quickly situations can change with injuries or players who leave or anything like that you never know what offers are going to come in everyone does have their price of course um there's been a lot of talk around sorber thomas and lewis o'brien um but uh i think that's just agent talk sort of reading between the lines i think with the lewis o'brien one in particular when you see five clubs named in a single report i think you uh, yeah. you, you sort of you know that that's uh, that that's a sort of agent generated link there but uh you know it also wouldn't be huge at the same time it wouldn't be a huge surprise if there was interest in those players um even if that came sort of later in the window but um yeah, from from what I gather, I think they're they're not looking at a huge amount of town because they've got that balanced way up between you know that the squad is going to be more injury free than it has been at any point this season. I think the the they had ten absentees for one reason or another on the first day, and that includes to be fair, Bakuna and and Benz a bit even still, um, and that isn't you know potentially it's been coming. The line of trajectory has basically been going down and down to the point where they're now hopefully <coughs> going to just have the two. So. The the squad is in a, the best state it's been they're going well they're exceeding everyone's expectations so far so I think the feeling is you don't want to risk sort of unsettling that by going and getting you know three or four players who, who might unbalance it I think mipo has gone back as, as you mentioned to West Ham uh, I believe that was sort of a mutual thing it's sort of I think it suited everyone for him to go back to West well, Ham cause
0: he, he, he yeah. needs to go somewhere where he's going to play bless him doesn't yeah, he exactly. he yeah. moved to play football and he's not played any football so yeah but I think it's all rubbish anyway, mate. I think what they need is a 20-goal-a-season striker. <laughs> one of the one of the many, many 20-goal-a-season strikers that are available in January, and cheap, you know, that I don't know why they don't just pick two up. But I think, yeah, it, it, like it's a horrible window, January. It's a horrible window because it's very, very difficult to get any value. Like, if you're a selling club and you have somebody everybody wants, January is great because you can basically put Like 1.5 million on top of the transfer fee in January. I don't think Town are in a position to overpay for anyone, and I don't think they'd want to. So I I don't think they're sort of going to shift anyone from the summer targets list up to January, realistically. And I think there is is talk of possibly a midfielder coming in, and that is perhaps the one area of the squad that if they were going to bring someone in, realistically, you can see there is probably a space there. That space being, you know, let's be honest, probably Alex Vallejo's. Leaps over him in the in the chain because this is the other thing. You can bring a midfielder in, you know, if you if you want to bring whoever in. But Jonathan Hogg will still start when he's fit, That's and it. Lewis O'Brien will still start when he's fit. Yeah, so exactly. and players aren't stupid. You know, they will know that, but summer could be a very different thing. You don't know how the squad's going to change or what's going to move or anything like that. So I I don't think there'll be a a great deal of movement. And I think the, the key to all that for me, and I know I'm perhaps his biggest fan and I do bang on about him a a bit too much if anything but I think a big key to that is Aaron Rowe because like Pippa and Rhodes coming back is great but Aaron Rowe comes back and he sort of covers like arguably five five six positions Um, and not only that he's just a really terrific footballer Mm. so I I don't want to say it's like a new signing because that's just the worst cliche in football but him coming back just opens up other areas of the pitch potentially as well so mm-hmm. yeah it wouldn't really make sense to go and like get three players in that are gonna completely alter the makeup of the squad there's just no real well, this, this is because like
1: yeah i think everyone always wants signings and to be fair i've not seen as much clamor for it this year as the last two years um which i think makes sense when you consider the league positions of those respective seasons but when you sort of go through it position by position it's like well they don't need a keeper because lee nichols is doing great i think everyone's very happy with how he's doing the center back options i might argue they could do with extra cover if they're going to play a back three but we've but seen that they that's... can play a back four now Yeah, and not only that,
0: they have got Romney Critzlow and Romani Edmonds Green out on loan. And, you know, if they really were desperate for for cover, I don't think you go and sign anyone. I think you recall one of them. Yeah. (laughs) Which I I I think think there is a January break clause in both. So it wouldn't make, if they signed a centre back, it would seem entirely unnecessary to me anyway. This
1: is it. I think, like, That's the thing with a centre back signing. Like I think in an ideal world, you say, "Well, we'll sign a backup centre back, a fifth, almost a fifth choice centre back, or maybe someone to go ahead and Abissar." I think making that signing, I think you can do it in the summer, but I think it's very, very hard to sell that to a player in uh, yeah in a January window.
0: Saar's out of contract in the summer as well, isn't he? Yeah. Exactly. So they've got to make a decision there either way. Romani's coming back to the club and he's I mean, he's doing big things at Rotherham this season. He's he's like doing incredible things there. So yeah, it makes no sense. And then you look at their defensive options out wide, and if anything, mm-hmm. they've got too many.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so right, on the right on the right side they've got um and Carlos Corbrand thinks that right wing back is it's Thomas's best position. He thinks it's Aaron Rowe's best position. You've got Pippa back and you've got Ollie Turton. So you've got four players who I think you'd be fairly comfortable starting. On the right, on the left, you've got Harry Toffolo who's going to play every minute he's fit for. And if he's not fit, then you've got Josh Ruffles can fill in there. Aaron Rowe can fill in there. At a real push, Pippa can fill in there. And then center f- center, you know on the wings, it's a similar story where you've got Karoma, Sanani, Holmes, Thomas, Roe can all Aaron's- play... Well, yeah, potentially out for for the season, unfortunately, but but longer term, yeah. Um, So plenty, you know, Danny Grant potentially, who knows. Mm. Um, So they've got plenty of options out in wide positions. Centre forward, you know, they've just sent Meepo back. I think they signed him mostly for cover for Jordan Rhodes anyway, so they've now got um, Ward, Rhodes, Campbell, um, and Karoma can play there as well. So I think they've got... (sighs) I, again maybe in the summer you might look at that and say well do we replace Fraser Campbell but I think January is not the time to do that uh and again if you were you know the form Danny Ward's been in you're side again it's the same as at centre back your side in a third or fourth choice and you know I think after what's happened with Meepo, it's like well what's the point uh, unless there was an injury there in the next couple of weeks so then that does just leave the midfield and you think well <sighs> they could probably do with, uh, and this is the big argument we've made, is they could do with a, a creative or a goal-scoring midfielder. And I think you could make that case, but then it's like, but then as you say how often are they actually going to start because mm. I think Hogan and O'Brien are pretty much nailed on starters on, you know, for the rest of the season unless there was sort of an injury we know that Scott High can can fill in um, quite capably in, in either role and I think I would make the argument probably would be better in the Lewis role than the Hoggy role but um, yeah and then you've got sort of John Russell just behind them as well so they, and, <laughs> they are
0: and I would I would also argue just to go go beyond that as well not only have you got John Russell, you've got a couple of options in the B team that if, if the season peters out a little bit and Town is sort of home and host in mid-table by March, it wouldn't surprise me if they wanted to have a look, a look at a couple of the B team options as well, just to give them some minutes on the pitch. So you do you do think okay midfield is the position where if they bought somebody in maybe but like why would you sign anybody on a permanent potentially a loan deal for somebody maybe yeah, yeah. you know but i just unless you can unless your summer target your summer midfield target suddenly becomes available for the the money you want to pay for him they it just like a loan deal there feels like the one that potentially might happen but even then if it doesn't i don't think it's really going to alter the course of town's season you know they're not if, if, if town miss out on the playoffs i don't think the fact they didn't sign a loan midfielder in january would be <laughs> would be the reason if you know what i mean it's yeah i i can't see an awful lot happening which i'm sure is probably not what some people listening to this podcast want to hear because let's face it signings are football now yeah yeah
1: and you know i I think if they can get that i think what they would be after would be it would have to be sort of a clear improvement on what they've already got yeah uh, i think this is it i think you could make an argument for adding more depth probably in in all of those sort of those spine positions up and down the side um from goalkeeper center back midfield center forward i think you can make a depth argument for all of them but i think when Hog's back he would struggle to sort of make a strong argument that they need a starter for those positions um, so but we'll see how it goes as I say priorities do change um, and you know if someone comes in and offers 15 million for Lewis O'Brien tomorrow or something then obviously the whole thing goes out the window because you know you can't turn that down um, but We'll have to we'll have to to see where it goes. I think, but uh, yeah, I mean, off the pitch while we're on it, there's been obviously the news that Mark Devlin has lost I'll start again. We've had the news that Mark devlin has left the club and Dean Hoyle has gone in as as interim chief exec. Uh I think from from what I gather there was no falling out or anything like that. I think it's just we we've known for a while and we've said on this podcast said since sort of the the administration's came out that that Hoyle has uh has taken back on his responsibilities at the club and they've obviously now formalized that. They've not been sort of denying it, but it's, you know, it's it's a formal confirmation that he is back involved in the day-to-day running of the club and uh, and I think he he just wants his own people reading between the lines and you know obviously Devlin was a, a Phil Hodgkinson hire um, you know he's, he's been at the club nearly two years and you know to be fair to, to Matt Devlin you know I think the first sort of 17 months of that or sorry not the first 17 months but 17 of his months in as chief exec were played behind closed doors uh, with no fans in the ground so difficult job to do uh obviously wishing him all the best i mean what what do you make to the situation
0: um i, I think it's 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 a difficult one isn't it i like the best ceos in football you often don't know their names because mm. they just quietly about their jobs um, Mark Devlin hasn't really been afforded that uh, luxury but that's, nor- that's because of stuff that's been out of his control and I think he's had a lot to cope with at town I think it's been a difficult time overall in football and it's you know there's a lot happened in his time let's be honest there's a there's a lot happened and I think I've I've seen some quite unfair comments on sort of social media just saying he's completely useless and he's done nothing and I'm, I can't get on board with that at all because I, I think the town are in quite a good position at the moment and that's not just down to the way Phil Hodgkinson dealt with COVID or the way Dean Hoyle has stepped in now in in the light of Pures administration a lot of staff have been involved in making some some quite key and some quite good decisions and Mark Devlin has been part of that but I I just think he he is always going to be sort of synonymous with a, a certain period of of town's history and let's be honest a certain person and that person's Phil Hodgkinson and I think your opinion of Mark Devlin is probably linked with your opinion yeah. of Phil Hodgkinson. I think you, you can't really separate the two. I, I think he's done I think he's done a fairly good job and sort of wish him well wherever he wants to go, but I think it's probably he's probably gone for the right reasons because we we have no advanced knowledge or inside knowledge of anything that's coming up or happening. But clearly, you know, Dean Hoyle has had to step in and if he has to step in he has to run the club the way he wants to run the club because mm. it it's it's a day-to-day concern it's not something you know it's not a hobby (laughs) it's Mm. it's a real live living breathing thing as a football club and it needs somebody involved and somebody who knows what they're doing and somebody who is gonna have it's his train set you know ultimately at the moment and he needs to run it how he wants to run it so yeah i i think i think mark devlin has done done okay you know i think he should probably go with everyone's best wishes but i think it's also fair to say it's probably for the best that. They're trying to restructure now for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, that's it. And we'll, we'll see what comes next. I think, uh, obviously, everyone's sort of curious to know what this means sort of longer term. And I think that, you know, obviously, there's still a lot to sort out with Phil Hodgkinson's situation. I think sort of it still looks like his position as chairman is is untenable. But how that sort of shakes out longer term, I think... I think... <sighs> obviously everyone is sort of desperate for information, but I think with things like this, this is uh, as frustrating as it is for the fans. I think it's the kind of thing that you need to do sort of as privately as you possibly can. And you handle this kind of thing sort of behind closed doors as much as you can, because, um... You know, and I know that there's obviously there's rumours floating around, but we're not going to sort of put our name on any rumours unless we're able to sort of prop them up. Because we do have, you know, as professional journalists, have a sort of a higher sort of burden of proof to put on things before we report them. But um, yeah, we'll just sort of need to see how it shakes out. And I think that if there was sort of a lot coming out publicly, that would be a lot more of a concern than than everything sort of being a bit quiet as it is at the moment because i think that sort of suggests that things are sort of being handled we know obviously as i say that that, that dean Hoyle has been involved in the day-to-day running and uh it's now sort of formalized that with the chief exec role so um, we'll just have to see how it shakes out from here and obviously if there's any information we're able to share with you then we'll do that as soon as we can but as it stands that's that's where we are dave uh do we have anything else to add before we go we do not sorry Good. for the coffin <laughs> <laughs> lovely as the apologetic undertaker once said we're back to the undertaker again never mind right dave thank you very much see you next time uh uk for all your coverage as usual goodbye goodbye
0: three, two, three, two, three.